This is the On the Banks podcast, presented by SB Nation. Welcome to the On the Banks podcast. I'm your host, Greg Petuto, here on a rainy Tuesday afternoon recording up in New Jersey where it hasn't stopped raining for about four days now, and there seems to be no end in sight. Hopefully by the end of the week, we can start seeing a little bit of that sun, but at least the the weather temperature's gone down. We're not in the summer months anymore, so that's always a positive. Starting to really feel like football season. Rutgers coming off a difficult loss to Ohio State. We're going to jump into a lot of that later in the show while giving an update on the rest of the sports around there. But the football team is entering the most important stretch of the season, so there's a lot to discuss, and it begins on Friday with a home matchup, Friday night matchup against Nebraska. I'll be joined by Mitch Sherman of The Athletic to discuss the matchup and the current state of the Nebraska program. Taking a dive around Rutgers and other sports going on in the fall, the women's soccer team remains one of the best teams in the nation, but did suffer their first loss. That was coming off a 2-0 victory at Ohio State back on September 18th, just four days after they traveled out to University Park and were shut out by Penn State 2 to nothing. On an ugly day, ugly field, uh, really just couldn't get anything going. But, you know, the teams aren't going to go undefeated. You know what happens. You're going to suffer a loss every now and then. They were able to rebound with a victory over Maryland, a one nothing victory, um, a tie against Northwestern, number eight in the country, Northwestern. Um, in Evanston, that was a strong performance, especially by Megan McClendon, who came back um, on Sunday, their most recent matchup, and posting a shutout, a 3 nothing victory over Purdue to get the team back on track. That's a, you know, Purdue's down this year. They're 3-8-1 and one on the season. That's a game that Rutgers kind of need to flex their muscles and, you know, did so. Emily Mason scoring twice. Sam Kroger getting them on the board early. Really dominated that game, 26-10. to 10. Shots on goal. Um, Purdue made eight saves. Megan McClendon had three. But again, just different, different ways that Rutgers were able to flex their muscles in that game. This Sunday, October 9th, they have a game coming up on ESPN2, home game against Indiana before moving on to Minnesota and Wisconsin. Again, as just the the season continues to roll. When you look at the field hockey team, bit of a tough stretch for them. The last victory coming on September 23rd against Ohio State, number 23 Ohio State, just one of many ranked matchups for Rutgers, who will take on a ranked team every game until the Big Ten tournament begins the first week of November. They fell to Michigan, who's a top 10 team, 4-1, to one, and a loss to Iowa, who's number three in the nation in Iowa City, 1-0. to nothing. So strong matchups. Squeezed in there is a 2 to nothing loss to Indiana in Bloomington. That was really the game that Rutgers needed to pull out. Indiana, um, not at the same level of the teams they've been playing, but the game entered the fourth quarter scoreless between um, – until Indiana was able to take control, score twice in that fourth quarter to pick it up. But when you look at the schedule, again, there, there's not a lot of time for this field hockey team to rest. They have a matchup with two more top three teams in the nation, Northwestern and Maryland, before taking on Syracuse, who's ranked Penn State number five, and Senior Day coming on October 30th against James Madison, who's currently 17th in the nation. So three straight losses for field hockey to drop to 6-6, six and 2-3 six, and three in conference, but they have a lot of time to really show what they can do and pick up some some big victories because, again, the schedule is so tough this season for the field hockey team who, I've mentioned before, suffered some losses but are still one of the nation's best programs and they have a chance to show it moving forward. 
the matchup with Ohio State is always one that's interesting to look at after because it always brings up the question and the topic of Rutgers belonging in the Big Ten. At this point, eight years later, this isn't a question, this isn't a conversation topic that should be discussed anymore. Let's start with the first point of that. A game against Ohio State is not when you decide where Rutgers belongs if they have the talent and the makeup to compete in the Big Ten, especially this season. Ohio State's one of the three best teams in the nation by far. When you look at Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State, there's nobody close. That includes the lesser teams in the SEC, the Big 12 teams, the Pac-12 teams, maybe aside from USC, which makes it interesting that they'll be coming over to the Big Ten so we can see these matchups. Maybe USC can score with Ohio State. We know they won't be able to stop them, but maybe they could score with them. The point is Ohio State would beat all of these teams by multiple touchdowns. So, yes, it's fair to – you have to have realistic expectations going into the game against Ohio State. 49-10 to might not be as lopsided a score as people expected. This was a huge spread. Rutgers was supposed to get blown out. They took a lead for the first time ever in the nine games against Ohio State. The problem is they just haven't been able to reach that level, and that's not something that you knock them for because that's a national level. Rutgers is not going to be on the national level in football yet. It takes time. The competition Greg Schiano faced in the Big East before coming over for his second tenure, it was a lot different than the competition he's facing now. Chris Ash had this program in such a dark place, in such a bad place when he left, that Greg Schiano basically had to build up a condemned house from the bottom up. And he's been doing that, and he honestly made great strides in year one. We saw in 2020 the progress they made. Last season even more, and this season even more, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, Mayan Williams was able to get comfortable, set up, uh, tied a program record with five touchdowns. Ohio State was really able to run the ball, but if you want to pick out a positive, C.J. Stroud didn't light him up. He threw for 154 yards. Uh, Rutgers was able to make things at least a little bit difficult. Again, they scored 49 points, and Mayan Williams really took over this game, but that's a positive to take out of it. When you continue to look at Rutgers in the Big Ten, it's not as simple as do they belong or don't they? The the answer is they do because, first of all, the athletics program as a whole is at an all-time high. We mentioned the women's soccer team, the field hockey team. When you look at men's soccer, they continue to improve. And I know football is the moneymaker. Football is the big sport. But men's basketball is, is number two on that list, and Rutgers has a national program in men's basketball. Steve Peichel has taken this team to great heights and they're only going to continue to improve. Geo Baker and Ron Harper Jr. are gone, but Rutgers has players for the foreseeable future. Having recruits stay in New Jersey and play on the team is what Shiano and Peichel have been able to do. It just takes more time on the football field because there's more moving parts. Steve Peichel's dealing with, you know, 13, 14 players, realistically seven or eight that play, while Shiano has to worry about all different types of units, offense, defense, special teams, different positions, and the talent. The talent is is better in football. There's national programs in both. But when you look at Ohio State, there's no team that is going to match up with Ohio State. Maybe Michigan, you know, maybe Penn State, if you believe in Penn State. I don't um, in terms of, of matching up with Ohio State. They just beat up beat up Wisconsin two weeks ago. Does that mean Wisconsin doesn't belong in the Big Ten? Or when they play Northwestern, or they're going to play Michigan State and beat them up this year? Does that mean these pro- programs don't belong? No. 
that just means Ohio State is that much better than everybody else. With that being said, oh, also before I move on, this has nothing to do with NIL or anything like that because even before all of this came into effect, Ohio State was a powerhouse. You know, Rutgers was was what they are going from the Big East to the American. Now they're in the Big Ten. It was going to take time again. Chris Ash had them in such a bad place. So this isn't NIL related. It's not like Ohio State became a powerhouse when you just started being able to pay your players. That This is nothing new. And it's not going anywhere. What Rutgers needs to do is try and get competitive with the middle tier of the Big Ten. And honestly, I think that's what we're seeing. And this week is going to be another test as to what Rutgers can do because Nebraska is coming to town. And when you looked at the schedule, this was a winnable game for Rutgers. The first test was Boston College. They were able to get through the non-conference schedule unbeaten. So that's three wins right there. And when you try to find three wins in a difficult Big Ten slate, Nebraska was one of them. Indiana was another one. The bye week is sandwiched in between. So Rutgers will have two home games with the bye week in between against two teams that they could beat. This is a huge, huge spot for Rutgers. So throw the Ohio State game out the window. If you want to prove that Rutgers belongs in the Big Ten, this is when you're going to do it. Again, men, the getting blown out by Ohio State always causes some feelings. Despite your expectations, you, you go in knowing that they're going to get killed in that game. It's just a fact. Rutgers fans know this, and that's the expectation you have to have. You're not at the national level of Ohio State, and there's nothing wrong with that. At the same time, it still brings up some ill feelings because nobody likes to see their teams get blown out. So in the back of your head, you're always thinking, does this team belong? What is this team? Are they making improvements? We know Rutgers is making improvements. Now they have to show it on their home field, which they haven't been able to win in the last 20 games in the Big Ten. They've struggled at home, including two years ago, a game against Wisconsin where Adrian Martinez ran all over him. He's not there anymore. Scott Frost isn't there anymore. Nebraska is coming off a game against Indiana where they were beat up a little bit. The offensive line is a bit beat up. We'll get into more of this with Mitch. But this is a winnable game and one that Rutgers has to take if they want to make a statement. This would be a statement win for the program for Shiano in his second tenure. No, Nebraska is not the level they usually are, but Nebraska is a historic program, and the name carries a lot of weight. It's going to be a desirable job. Wisconsin's going to be a desirable job. These coaches, you want to come coach in the Big Ten against the best teams. That's why Shiano came back. That's why he believes that Rutgers belongs in this conference and he loves being in the conference. Aside from the money that the, that the school's going to make with the new uh, media rights deal, USC and UCLA coming over, obviously, there's a lot of good things about Rutgers. They got in at the absolute right time, that's for sure. Nobody can deny that one. But these are the games you're going to prove it. Nebraska is down. Indiana is way down. Despite being 3-2, and two, they had a soft non-conference, and they were able to steal one against Illinois, who, who looks strong this year, which is another – that's for the future. Those are games that you can steal. And with the bye week in between, it makes it even more realistic for Rutgers to kind of get things going and show a little strength at this point of the season following you know two tough losses to open up Big Ten play. Sticking with the matchup against Ohio State, there's not much to talk about on the field, right? Coming into the game, I said that Rutgers needs to focus on trying to be physical, trying to compete on a physical and mental level. You knew you weren't going to win the game. You knew you weren't going to be able to keep up with the talent of Ohio State. But coming out, scoring, the, getting a turnover, scoring the first touchdown, that showed something. And really just being able to, to compete, you know, hitting them, showing physicality. 
it's better than what we've seen in the past from Rucker. So that's a step in the right direction. The play that everybody's talking about is obviously the fake punt in the fourth quarter. Aaron Crookshank comes over. Greg Schiano comes over. So let's break down that play a little bit. Ryan Day said in the postgame, and I said this live watching the game, I, I thought that this is what it was. I was just waiting for confirmation. And you knew that, that Ryan Day wouldn't admit it even if he did call it. But he said that it was it was done by the player. Jesse Murko saw an opportunity, decided to run. And I'm on that side because that's what you're taught. I'm sure Adam Korsak has taught the same thing as the Australian style of punting the ball. When you get it, take some steps and kick the ball. If you see a lane, you're taught to take it. Now, Murko had a ton of green grass in front of him. Rutgers was overloaded to one side once they got up, uh, got up field. Murko had nothing to do but gain yards. Was able to get 22 yards. Aaron Crookshank obviously hits him late out of bounds, just thrown out of the game for a flagrant act. Now that was a, I think that was a bit more because of the reaction from everything. It wasn't really a hit that deserved to be. He deserved to be ejected, um, unless the, it wasn't targeting. You know, it was late, but because of the melee that is, that went that happened after. You know, Rutgers coming over from the other sideline, the Ohio State players getting involved. Because of all of that, I think the refs just wanted to make an example, make sure the rest of the game went on smoothly. But that I'm not concerned about that. He shouldn't be suspended. If he was for that hit, it would be a travesty. But the overall decision, you could get mad at, at Murko for doing this up 49-10. to 10, But as a player, you're on the field, you're competing, especially as a punter. You never have the chance to run. If you're Rutgers, you got to stop him. You know, th- this isn't a place for Rutgers to, to get sensitive and, you know, ask Ohio State to just kind of lay down, throw in the towel. I know it's 49-10, to 10, but it didn't have to be 49-10. to 10. You're, you're lined up across from him. You have a chance to stop him. You had a chance to stop him on the on the punt before he gained 22 yards. Go up there and hit somebody. That's why what Crunchyk did, a lot of players, a lot of fans liked because he showed a little toughness, showed that they're not going to take it, which I didn't mind either. But at the same time, don't get mad at Murko or Ryan Day for that instant for, for making decisions or for doing something. you got to stop them. Play a closer game. And then if they go and fake a punt, don't let them get the first down. Don't let them gain 22 yards. You know, we've seen this a lot in high school sports recently, these lopsided scores. And it makes a little more sense at the youth level, at at the high school level, because then you're talking about, you know, injuries and everything, you know, when kids are just bigger, more developed, more talented. This is Big Ten Division One football. You're in the same conference. There's no for the there's no for the weak at heart. This is not where you're looking to, you know, not hurt feelings. Ohio State is not concerned about the feelings of Rutgers in this game. And that's just me being a little more old-fashioned. You know, the, the the world that we live in is not like this as much. But, again, if you're Rutgers and you want it to stop, go stop them. Now, with that being said, you could also be happy with what Crookshank did and with what Greg Schiano did because what I thought Greg Schiano did was great. It's a, Ryan Day is a, is a coach that he's comfortable with, somebody he knows well, obviously, because of their times together at Ohio State under Urban Meyer. In the heat of competition, if you take offense to something, go tell him. And he did. He went up. It was a, it was a strong show. He got right in his face. You can see both coaches getting heated, something you don't see a ton in football, obviously, because they're so far away from each other. You don't see him really interact until the end of the game. That was great to see of Shiano. You know, he was going to defend his players. He was going to defend the program. And that was great. That was great to see. At the end of the game, they shook hands. You know, I'm sure they 
exchange a quick word about it. I wouldn't be surprised if they talked off the field about it. But that's what you want to see from the program as well. So both can be true. You know, you can be happy with the reactions. You can like what you see, the, the aggressiveness, kind of the we're not going to take it attitude. But at the same time, go show that you're not going to take it on the field. You know, next time, don't put yourself in a position for this to happen. Go and make some stops. Go and, you know, put a better punt coverage together because they did. They overloaded the one size, the reason that Mirko, he was able to roll out to his right, which he does normally when he kicks the ball, and there was just nobody there. That's the style that they're taught. That's what they're taught when kicking the ball. Go make a stop. That's the play that's being talked about because, you again, you never see coaches get heated like that in, in each other's faces. But that was great to see from them. Crookshank's ejection was a little phony. I didn't love that. Again, they called it a flagrant act. It just looked like a late hit. You know, we all know the reason that it happened. The refs, again, took a wanted to gain control of the game. They knew that Crookshank took effect. Um, it took offense, excuse me. So that was why he delivered that late hit. Again, they were just trying to keep everything under control. But at the end of the day, what you saw from him and what you saw from Rutgers during that whole scrum was, you know, it's got to excite fans. It's got to say, we're not, again, we're not going to take this. You're not going to kind of push us around. But at the same time, make a stop. That's it. Next time they play, I would keep it within 39 points. You know, they've never kept Ohio State under 49 in nine matchups. Keep them under 49 points. Maybe keep the game within 30. You know, and and these things won't happen. So that's what you got to work for. But that was that was the most exciting part of the game uh, in terms of Rutgers. You know, after the first three minutes when they were able to score the first touchdown. So that's that's the part that's being talked about again. Crookshank not going to be suspended. He shouldn't in a normal game. I don't even think he's thrown out. You know, if this happens in the second quarter, I don't even think he's thrown out. He's penalized for a late hit. It wasn't targeting. So I'm not unless they. Claim that he, he, unless he led with his head, which he didn't. So it wasn't targeting. He would have been thrown out of the game. It just would have moved on. But just because of the time of it, the score, the situation. But again, as a player, that's what you're taught. You're not looking at the scoreboard thinking we're up 40 points. Let me not do this, especially a punter. If you have some time to run, you're going to run. Again, I'm sure Adam Korsak has taught the same thing. I don't want to speak for him because I haven't asked him this question. But that's the the style that the these Australian punters the Australian punting style that they use, you know, that's kind of what they do. And when Rutgers is overloaded, that was an easy gain. You pick up 22 yards as a punter, run of the ball, you know nobody's on that side of the field. So, you know, that's got to be cleaned up. And it, it was interesting to see uh, the next punt for Ohio State. You can see Greg Shannon on the sideline kind of crossing his, like waving his hands, crossing his arms, you know, wanting the team to play it safe rather than sending the house to go block it. So that just shows you if a team's going to try and block a punt down 39, Ohio State is well within their rights to make a play down 39, and that's kind of the the base of it. But at the same time, you know, good for Crookshank, good for Shiano. You don't want to do anything dirty or illegal, but the hit by Crookshank was late, um, but it wasn't to the head, it wasn't to the knee, so at least there was that. And Shiano, again, sticking up for his guys, defending the program. But from here on out, I'm sure fans would want to see, if you're, if you're upset about Ohio State doing this, if you're Rutgers, and if you're a Rutgers fan, you got to want your team to be within 40 points. I think that's the that's the base of it. I am now joined by Mitch Sherman, who covers Nebraska football for The Athletic. Mitch, thank you for taking some time to join me today. Yeah, good to be with you. First, I want to start um, with a question coming up to New Jersey. You're an Omaha native. Um, I assume you've been up here many times covering college football um, during your career. Is there any allure in Jersey? Is there anything you look forward to when you come back? I know us personally, we're pizza snobs up here. So is there any, any yeah. uh, food or, or different um, landmarks you look to look for when you come up to Jersey? 
Yeah, I've been there several times. Um, more, uh, not always for for uh, for football or to, for game coverage, but in the area, you know, there's there's uh, a things things happening. A lot of people, of course. Uh, you know, my my long career um, in covering Nebraska for for you know first the Omaha World Herald and and then I was with ESPN um, and now the Athletic. Um, you know, has has brought me there for to the area for Heisman Trophy ceremonies. I, I followed. Bill Callahan um, out that way after his time at Nebraska when he was with the Jets to, to see what he was up to and, and spent some time in New Jersey then um, at, at their practice facility. So that was enjoyable. Those were, that was in, those were in the Brett Favre days. Um, you know, definitely big New York pizza guy. I mean, I got to get a good deli sandwich and, and partake in some, in some uh, bagel activity anytime I get that, uh, get that well. Yes, that's something that could definitely spur up some conversations from us New Jersey natives, especially if anybody has anything negative to say, depending if you catch the wrong person. Um, I want to start as as we transition into uh, uh, the state of the Nebraska program. I want to backtrack a little bit as we start here. The timing of the of the Scott Frost firing is something that took some people by surprise, especially when you look at his buyout um, situation Mm -hmm. in terms of October 1st. Was it any actions over the course of the season that sped up this process? I know the uh, Northwestern game right out of the gate is highlighted by a lot of people when you look at different reasons why Frost might have been fired early. Well, clearly the wheels were spinning for Nebraska. Um, It wasn't going in the direction that Trev Alberts, the athletic director, drew up with Scott Frost when they sat down last November after the Ohio State game and decided to bring this thing back in 2022. And and there was, of course – a restructured contract that Frost agreed to and and some some parameters that were not made public, but it would seem that he was already way behind in in being able to to live up to those just three games into the season. You know, I don't, I don't think that they expected uh, a loss against Georgia Southern to, to be there when when they went to evaluate the first portion of the season. It was very important for Nebraska after the way the 2021 season began at Illinois in week zero with a loss against, at that time, a coach in Brett Bielma in his first game. It was very important for Nebraska in 22 in going overseas to Dublin for that opener against a Northwestern team that was terrible last year and, and, and appears to be terrible again this year. Uh, to, to win that game. And <laughs> Nebraska kind of gave it away, up up 11 in the third quarter. And here comes Scott Frost with the onside kick that was ill-timed and turned momentum in that game. And, and you know, Trev Alberts was just very disappointed, with the, as everyone who, who was around the Nebraska program was, with the way that the season started. And, you know, his, his explanation, both on the day, September 11th, that he fired Scott Frost and in the, in the week since, has been, you know, it's, it wasn't about finances. And, you know, the money is there. Nebraska, it's, that's not a problem for Nebraska, especially with the influx that's coming from the Big Ten with the uh, the multimedia rights contract that was signed this summer. And Nebraska has its own multimedia rights contract that, that began just this week that, that's going to bring more than $300 million to the athletic department over 15 years. So, you know, look, they don't want to spend $8 million when they don't have to spend $8 million. But if it means being able to move forward and give these players an opportunity to, to have something from this season that is, is a good experience, then they're not worried about the timing of it. So Alberts knew what he wanted to do, and he wasn't going to sit around and wait for three weeks when, when the decision had been made. And it's always important to get the right guy in the building um, when, you're, when you're looking for a new coach. 
But in this particular situation for Nebraska where, you know, Frost did not work out, is there a little more sense of urgency to find the right guy? And have there been any early candidates that are kind of making some noise to this point? You know, there's always a sense of urgency. And, and you know, at Nebraska, this has been a, a vicious cycle. You, you, you can go 20 years and, and make the case that during all that time, Nebraska has been searching for the right coach. There, there have been some some periods of success during that time you know Bo Pelini had seven years consecutively where he won nine games so that's good by college football standards you know there were other reasons that led to the end of of his tenure there was a a good year or two with Callahan there was a good year in the middle a decent year a nine-win year with Mike Riley before Frost came here there were no good years with Scott Frost um, so yeah, the urgency is there. I think right now, because of the college football landscape and the fact that you have USC and, and UCLA coming in two years and you have the playoff, uh, expanding sometime in the next four years and, you know, everything that that is, is moving so fast with NIL and it, it just seems like things are happening in college football at a much faster pace than they really ever have been. So it's important to, to get the right guy or you run the risk of setting yourself back even more than previous failed regimes would have done. And, and you know, it's been five, five of these searches for Nebraska uh, that, that haven't produced the, the right guy over a long period of time. So. You know, there, there there is a limit at some point to the patience that Nebraska fans have. They're probably the most patient fan base in the country, and that they can have continued to sell out Memorial Stadium um, through all of this downtime, up and down, but mostly down over the past twenty to twenty five years. And, and sellout streak it, it it continues dating back to nineteen sixty two, and, and that's so important to um, you know everything that Nebraska stands for. Not 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 the sellout streak exactly, but I just mean the, the the fan support. And if the streak ends, you know that's an indication that the support is is waning. Nebraska needs that support to be able to define its program, to be able to provide the resources, many of the resources that that are required to to stay competitive. And, and for Nebraska, that's what it is right now. It's just trying to be competitive in the division, in the conference against the teams that it measures itself, uh, you know, like Iowa and Wisconsin and Minnesota. These are programs that Scott Frost couldn't beat, and, and the next coach is, is going to have to turn that corner. I can speak from um, experience up here. This is a game that Rutgers is looking at, at kind of a must-win game, especially when you look in terms of a bowl berth um, and the gauntlet that is the Big Ten schedule. I could assume yeah. that there's a, a similar sense of urgency for Nebraska um, to come away with a victory. I, I highlighted this game preseason as one, if Nebraska lost, potentially this could be the game that got Frost out of the building. Obviously, we don't have to worry about that now. But in terms of really from having the season crash in, you know, end um, with the walls crashing in, coming off a victory against Indiana, is there a, a sense of urgency, another term that I use when it comes to frost um, in this game to get a victory and like you said kind of prove that Nebraska can compete especially with these lower teams yeah I mean it's such a, it's such an interesting season because things are in flux for Nebraska I mean you could say it's interesting or you could say it's it's meaningless um, because they're, they're Mickey Joseph the interim coach is, is just trying to get through this um, and then you know they're going to go in a, a different direction I mean there's the possibility that Joseph could get the interim tag removed but you know, that's a long shot at this point. Now, if he wins this week and, and wins next week at Purdue, that would be a three-game winning streak, and that's something that Scott Frost did not do in, in, in four years. And I, I think that would really mean something 
to to Trev Alberts as as he continues to to look and and you know perhaps if if some other jobs open that that are unexpected and I put Wisconsin in that category this this last Sunday when when it came open you know it it, it changes the dynamic uh, in, in the in the coaching carousel and maybe Nebraska will get into a situation where Mickey Joseph is is. Um, you know the right choice. We'll see. We're 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 pretty far uh, from from getting to that point right now. But a win on Friday night for Nebraska would definitely uh, would definitely add to the momentum that he has, and he, and he does have momentum because the team has rallied behind him, as happens generally with an interim coach. The staff has rallied behind him. The fans have rallied behind him. You know, he like Scott Frost as a former Nebraska quarterback. That's certainly not a prerequisite to be the next coach. In fact, you, you might argue that it's not something that Nebraska would look for after the way the last four years went. But, you know, Mickey is his own guy. He's, he's a bit different um, in a lot of ways than Scott Frost and how he goes about um, leading this team and this program. So, a week ago, uh, you know, I would have said, you know, I don't really see a whole lot of hope for Nebraska in, in having any kind of a successful season. In fact, I, I would have said I I'm, I'm, would expect there's more of a possibility that it could be a 1-11 season with that one win against FCS North Dakota than, than I would believe that, that this team could get to a bowl. So, you know, and I wasn't expecting Nebraska to beat Indiana, to be honest. The way that it looked in the first four games, it did. That's two wins see this game and you look at the seven that remain on the schedule, certainly one of the more winnable games for Nebraska that that's out there. And that's no knock on Rutgers. That's just who it's just because of who Nebraska plays the rest of the way. So yeah, you got to get this if you're in Nebraska and you have any hope at all of salvaging something, you know, a successful season would be a bowl season for Nebraska. That, that would be realistically um, it would be, it would be very successful to get to 500 and, and, be, and get six wins and go to a bowl. I don't know if it's realistic. Um, and it's certainly not realistic if 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 the Huskers lose on Friday night. When these two teams met back in 2020, just a, just an ice cold night on that last week of the Big Ten schedule um, up at SHI Stadium in December, Nebraska was able to run all over Rutgers in that game, took control in the fourth quarter, um, a couple turnovers, but really using the ground game to dominate that game. Can we expect a similar plan of attack from Nebraska, or is it going to be based a lot on Casey Thompson in this game? You know, I think Nebraska wants. Well, I know Nebraska wants to be physical, but the offensive line is is not a strength of this team. And you know, both in pass protection and in run blocking, Nebraska is fortunate that it has Anthony Grant, junior college transfer, at the running back spot. Two years ago in Piscataway, it was Dedrick Mills who had probably the best game of his career against Rutgers, and what was the final game of his career. And I believe he carried it. 25 times somewhere in that neighborhood grant grant is entirely capable of that and that's what he did against indiana last week and he runs hard and tough he's probably the best back that nebraska's had since amir abdullah um about a decade ago who was the star um in the in the transition period when nebraska went from the big 12 to the big 10 and, and you know remains today in, in the nfl <clears throat> so grant's a good back um, they're going to lean on him if he's got room to run. And he doesn't need a lot of room to run. But, again, the offensive line is not a strength. And I think, um, you know, with Rutgers and, and Greg Schiano focusing on becoming a more physical team, you know that's going to be their, their MO. That's, that's, that's what they want to hang their hats on. Um, you know, they're farther along in that process than Nebraska is with Nicky Joseph. Um, and, and, really, it had to be a reset with, with, with Joseph. You know, they're, they've had this regime, this frost regime in place for four years, but um, it wasn't gaining traction in the areas that, that it wanted to. So they've, they've tried to reset, go back to fundamentals. He wants to be physical. Joseph does, but he's just been there two games. So I would think Rutgers would have an advantage 
um, and, and it's it's dedication to playing physical football. I don't think Nebraska can get by um, with the kind of game plan that it had two years ago against Rutgers. Um, it's going to have to throw the ball in order to open things up in the run game, and Thompson's capable of doing that. He has receivers, particularly in Trey Palmer, the LSU transfer who was a five-star kid out of high school, um, came with Mickey Joseph from LSU. Mickey was the, the wide receivers coach for Ed Ogeron. Um, and, and Palmer is a guy who, who can take the top off of the defense against, I would say, anybody in the, in the Big Ten. You know, he, he had 100 and, 160, 170 yards receiving last week against Indiana. Um, so they're going to have to continue to get big games from him and then, and then go to Grant on the ground to, uh, to open things up. How has that overall transition been um, to Thompson? When you look at somebody like Adrian Martinez, who ran the offense um, for four years, Thompson coming in and it seemed, just looking at his numbers, um, showing a bit of inconsistency on paper. Um, and there's, there's also a chance that this quarterback matchup could be very interesting, especially if Noah Vedral is able to play come back, coming back from injury. Right. Thompson's been good in the leadership department. You know, he's a mature guy. He's 23 years old. He's, he's seen a lot in college football um, at Texas for the last four years. Started last season, dealt with a, a thumb injury that he suffered in the in the Oklahoma game. Yeah, he's a streaky guy um, His with, with his arm. At least he has been in, in the five games this year. You know, every game, four of the five games, he's come out and, and has just been on fire at the beginning of games. Nebraska went three plays and, and scored a touchdown on a couple of big passes against Indiana last week. And then, you know, kind of the, the, the way the, the blueprint has been, they, they go quiet offensively, you know, after a, a pretty hot start. So it, we'll see if, if they can do that uh, on the road this week. Um, they did against Northwestern on the road in a neutral environment. Um, which was more a Nebraska-friendly environment in, in Dublin to, to open the season. Um, so this is the first true road environment that Nebraska's played in this year. I know it's not um, the Horseshoe or you know, or, or uh, Camp Randall, but uh, you know, still it's diff- a lot different than playing at at Memorial Stadium in Lincoln um, with everyone behind you. So he, yeah, he's a mature guy, an experienced guy. The the, the skill set isn't entirely all, all that much different from what Nebraska had with Martinez the last four years you know he can run when he needs to not going to look to run as much as nebraska did with adrian uh, in part because of the um the desire to keep casey healthy uh you know he's he's banged up somewhat right now left the game um for a brief time uh against indiana when he when he landed hard on his throwing shoulder so we'll be we'll be interested to watch and, and and see um, if he takes hits, if he does take hits, you know, you can probably expect to see Chubba Purdy, uh, the backup, the Florida State transfer, um, brother of, of Brock Purdy, the former Iowa State quarterback, come into the into the game and, and, and get some reps. So, um, yeah, Casey's been been generally good, but but yeah, as you said, inconsistent. And, and on the other side, um, you know, Nebraska fans, Nebraska players, um, people in, in the Nebraska uh, locker room are going to know Noah Vedral very well, and you know, he, of course, is going to know Nebraska well, not just as a former Nebraska quarterback and and you know, Nebraska native, but as the son and, and nephew of just a whole long list of um, of ex Cornhuskers. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's a it's a good story, and I hope for Noah that, that he's able to get um, to get in the game and, and and be healthy enough to to play this week because he didn't get to do that in 2020 against his former team. And, um, you hate to see him have two opportunities and, and, and not be able to go in both of them. 
How about the offensive line for Nebraska to this point? Is that a unit that's been gelling? Are they healthy coming into this game? When you look at Rutgers, they, um, not in terms of getting to the quarterback, but the defensive line and the linebacking core has been able to um, stop their run pretty well. They've been pretty strong against the run in this game. How's that um, matchup going to affect this game when looking at Nebraska's line? Yeah, probably the weakest area on the whole team. Um, it's just, that's just the reality of it. Um, you know, credit to Anthony Grant, the running back I mentioned for being a, a guy who's, who's per, per game, um, average of 120 yards is top 10 in the country. You know, he's done a lot of that on his own. Uh, hasn't had a ton of room to run. There are not big holes that, that have been opened for him through these first five games. Um, pretty healthy. Um, Nebraska is up front. Uh, Turner Corcoran, the left tackle, had back-to-back 15-yard penalties. Uh, the second one for, for throwing a punch in the Indiana game, and he was ejected from that game. In the first half, um, you know, he'll be back, um, able to play. Um, we'll see if he faces any kind of discipline or, or, or anything like that. But I would expect him to start at left tackle. They did develop a little bit of depth and, and, and got some snaps out of the, the backup left tackle, who's also the backup left guard, Brant Banks. So that's a, a silver lining in the ejection of Corcoran, who's who's one of the leaders for Nebraska on the offensive line. They, they, they really miss Cam Juergens, um, who was Nebraska center a year ago. And, you know, if not for Tyler Linderbaum at Iowa, I think he would have been first team Big Ten or, or, you know, certainly right there with John Michael Schmitz from from Minnesota. Um, Juergens was a second-round pick, and he's playing in, in, in Philly um, right now, has a long NFL career ahead of him. So, obviously, you miss a guy like that um, up front. And, uh, yeah, they've just been just been generally inconsistent. Um, there, there are not a lot of true tackles in the Nebraska program. They've got a lot of guys who can play guard. And, you know, not a ton who can who have the athleticism to get out there and protect the quarterback from, from strong – edge rushers so we'll see uh you know if nebraska has has given has nebraska's faced a lot of pressure from really all of the opponents so far this season thompson has taken a number of hits and you know i would expect that's going to be a key in the game because like i like i said i think nebraska has to be able to 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 open things to start things with the passing game and, and then work from there but if if thompson doesn't have room to throw uh, or time to throw because Rutgers is, is is getting after him, then it could be a long day offensively for for Casey and that group. We mentioned Noah Vedral, and he's part of the the inconsistency as well that Rutgers has seen at quarterback between injuries um, and the play on the field. Evan Simon and Gamma Wibbs had both struggling to get the ball down the field especially. But the rushing attack has been a positive after coming into the season as a bit of a question mark for Rutgers. Defensively, when looking at Nebraska, how do you expect them to kind of attack Rutgers? Is there an area on that defense where the Scarlet Knights might be able to um, gain a bit of advantage, find a little vulnerability? Well, Nebraska's rush defense has given up 200 yards a game. It's last in the Big Ten. It was much better against Indiana on Saturday night, but you know, I, I don't know that that's a reason for for, for great optimism. You know, I think Indiana was compromised offensively with what it wanted to do. It was without two of its top receivers, so somewhat one-dimensional. Um, still tried to throw the ball because that's Indiana's that's Indiana's strength, or, or that's its that's its plan. Um, but but things weren't working the way that Tom Allen wanted them to for for Indiana against Nebraska on the offensive side. Um, I, I would think that Rutgers is is going to want to come into this game wanting to run the ball, and so Nebraska is going to face a different challenge uh, than it did in, in in getting that win last week. We'll see. You know, on paper, Nebraska's uh, the the. Um, the guys on the edge, and Nebraska switched from a from a three four base to more of a four three base with traditional um, defensive ends, as opposed to, to guys with the with the label defensive end who were playing 
on the defensive line um, in in a in a three four front. That, that was the switch that was made this this year. It hasn't worked in the way that um, that they wanted, obviously. And and you know, there's the evidence with uh, not just Scott Frost fired, but a week later, defensive coordinator Eric Tanner was fired by by Mickey Joseph, the interim coach, and they installed Bill Bush, who was the special teams coordinator. Um, Bush is a, is a, a Nebraska guy through and through. He's from Nebraska. This is his third stint on the Nebraska coaching staff. He, he like Joseph, was at LSU um, for that 2019 season when the Tigers won the national championship and is, is an, an accomplished coach. Um, I believe has a, had a stint at Rutgers um, on, his, on his resume, too. And, and I know he knows um, a number of the coaches on the Rutgers staff, though he, did, he has not – um, been on a staff with with Shiano. Um, they, they made a big jump under Bush last week. I'm interested to see if that was a one week thing because of the um, you know the energy that that they brought with a new coach and, and in part because of the the opponent, um, or if it's something that Nebraska is able to carry over into more games this season. You know they're going to face much more difficult to stop rushing attacks than than what the Hoosiers posed. But um, you know anything. In, in, in terms of positivity is a step in the right direction over the way that Nebraska stopped the run in its first four games. So uh, they're, they're, they're moving, at least they're moving in the right direction, but I, but I would think that that's an area that Rutgers is want, is going to want to try to expose because it looks like it's there for the taking um, against Nebraska. Final question here, Mitch, before I let you go, I got to get a prediction. Now it doesn't have to be an exact score. You always could if you wanted to, but how do you see this game playing out in the end? And is there, um, I know we just talked about different matchups on both sides of the balls for both Rutgers and Nebraska. Is there a particular matchup that you can see swinging this game in one direction? Well, you know, I'm going to look at the line of scrimmage on both sides. And that, and that, that really is the story of Nebraska's season. It was the story coming in. Uh, you know, it, what if, of course, the big story for Nebraska coming into the season was could Scott Frost do enough to, to survive? And we got a quick answer to, to that. And that, that, of course, was was no. Um, you know, he was he was doomed from that um, from that opening game against Northwestern, and you know, he was it, it ended quickly after that. Um, but it, as far as on the field uh, things to identify um, as as a barometer for what makes Nebraska a successful team this year, I'm looking at the line of scrimmage both ways. Yeah, I mean, Nebraska has some talent on the edges um, on offense, and you know, has some guys on defense who are outstanding athletes in the secondary too, but they, you know, they've, they've underachieved this year. I think there's an, there's an, there's a, an adv- a decided advantage for Nebraska at some of those positions in this game, but, but I don't think that's what's going to decide it. I think, you know, Rutgers will, will go a long way toward making this a physical game and Nebraska wants it to be a physical game too. That was the number one objective for Mickey Joseph going into the game last week was to be the more physical team. So he's not going to shy away from that. And, you know, I, I, I will continue to look at that. Is, is there is there a push that Rutgers is able to get when it's on offense and when it's on defense um, against the Nebraska uh, front five offensively and front four on the defensive side? If there if there's something of a stalemate, then I think that the, the edge goes over to Nebraska because it's got some talent on the on the outside uh, on both sides of the ball. If, if it's if it goes as, as I would say I, I expect at this point, because I just don't trust Nebraska in the trenches, if it goes that way. Then you know I give the edge to Rutgers, and and, and that would that would be my lean. Um, uh, you know I, I think I think Rutgers can get it done. Um, you know I I know they're coming off of a physical game and, and a, what could what could be devastating when you look at the score against Ohio State last week. But as you said, there's there's um, there's a lot on the line for Rutgers in this game to 
to uh, to keep the season pointed in a direction that can end with with a bowl game. So I I, I do I, I like their their chances to get it done. If, if you know if I'm making a prediction, I, I I'll pick Rutgers twenty four seventeen. And if Rutgers is able to get that done, as you mentioned, that will snap. 20 consecutive losses um, at home in the Big Ten. So a lot on the line there for Rutgers as well. Mitch, thank you again. I appreciate you taking some time to talk about the matchup today. Yeah, good to talk to you. Take care. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to the On the Banks podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just search On the Banks.